and welcome to What Goes Around. I'm Eamon Murta. I'm Anne Frankenstein. And we've got some delightful things to talk about this afternoon. First of all, I'm going to kick off with a big moan and complaint about playlists that are just too long. Wind it in, lads. <laughs> then I'm going to chat about whether it's ever okay to wear a T-shirt with several swear words on it, even if it represents a really super cool record label. Yeah, so if there are any kids or grandmas in the room, I advise you uh, to tape over their ears right now. That's a good point. After that, we're going to talk to a genuine archivist. Yes, do you remember a little while back in Series 1, we had a bit of a, shall we say, fight about how you should order your records? Well, we've got none other than the true Dr Frankenstein, Dr Beck Grant, who is an archival scientist. Is that right? Um... No, she's my sister. I should probably know that. <laughs> well, Doctor anyway, of archiving. That's what she is, and she is going to tell us all about how to do things properly. She's going to set us straight, as she has been doing for my entire life. <laughs> you get a little taste of that, Eamon. I do. <laughs> also, on today's show, we are so excited to have Lydia Lunch sharing her phonographic memories with us. New York icon, musician, poet, public speaker, sex goddess. This is truly one of our favourite interviews, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Should we pod? Let's get into it. Oh, let's really do it. Let's do lots of podding. Let's pod now. You start the podding and I'll join in. Okay, I'm podding. I'm podding too. <laughs> this is getting silly. <laughs> Eamon Murta, it's so lovely to be able to ask you this question. Once again, what goes around? Well, Anne, um, what goes around? We've all had a lot of time in our hands recently, haven't we? With a little, little lockdown um, wee hours just twinkling away and, you know quite long minutes and rather draggy mm. seconds i go to bed at 8 p.m that's how i'm doing <laughs> well anyway we've all, all got this time and i understand things have got longer you know and, and people have maybe a little more time to indulge themselves in their in their interests than they used to i as you know do love music and <laughs> i especially love a well put together mix you know i think that's mm. always a really great thing because not only do you get all this great music from different individual artists but you also get a sense of the taste of the curator and hopefully if they're good at what they're doing you know a story is told amongst that mix and you you, you get you go on a little audio journey with them so i love all that but call me an old fashioned dj guy uh-oh <sighs> I just feel in the Spotify age, playlists are getting too bloody long. Mm. Do you know? I, I know now I'm a total hypocrite for this because we do a playlist every week uh, with uh, what goes around and we put it on Spotify and one on YouTube for those of you who don't want to pay the man. Fair enough. Respect to that. And often because it's li we don't really curate it. It's not like we're trying to tell a story or make a mix. It's just literally everything we mention. So if I say, I don't know. Um, How much you hate good, take that? No, oh, no, you've got now. I've got to put take that on the bloody playlist. <laughs> if I was to say, I don't know, death or um, uh, the Detroit Spinners, I'd have to put those on the on the mix, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, as a result, quite often, if it's a rambling conversation, it will have like a three-hour, four-hour playlist. That can be great, but you can skip through our playlist. We don't mind. Mm. We we are not precious. It's not like the the DJ thing. We're not even proud of it most of the time. <laughs> Quite often, I'm putting it together going, no fucker's going to listen to this. <laughs> it takes a long time to do as well, so I appreciate mm. that audience. But I, I'm increasingly being handed or linked to things that are just, oh, just, it's too much. 
I used to have a friend I worked with uh, back in when CDs were, were all the rage. And you'd show some mild interest in something they were listening to and go, oh, oh that Public Enemy, I haven't heard that one. That looks really good. And he goes, oh, yeah, I love hip-hop. Yeah, it's great. I say, yeah, well, no, great. Could I, could I borrow that? And he goes, yeah. Oh, and have this. Oh, and this. And, th and then before you know it, you had, like, you know, 14 CDs. At that moment, my brain just goes, I'm not fucking listening to that lot. I haven't got the time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Who has that amount of time? And I'm seeing playlists that are extraordinarily, like, spirit-breakingly long. Mm. From things that I want to show interest in, and I, I would have... If it was, like, the perfect mix for me is, like, maybe an hour, an hour and a half, yeah? But if I wanted to get you to listen to something, I think there is a point where you have to say... I'm asking too much of the listener if I'm saying, could you just spare me eight hours? You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, I suppose that's where the skill of curation comes into its own. It's like a great musician knowing where to leave silences. You know, if mm. you can put a great mix together, it's more about how can I put this together in a economical amount of time and draw the most attention to each track individually by by virtue of the the use of contrast you know i think that's that's why i always loved making mixed cds because obviously you have a limited amount of space bring that back indeed because it, it's all about how you put things next to each other on the cd yeah yeah allows the tracks to stand out in their own right you don't need to overwhelm someone with a fucking tidal wave of everything you think is great yes it's like yes. here's a this you know. all day long it's all so well-intentioned and mm. um you know i really i get sent a lot of things do you know what i mean because people say oh you're into music you're like this blah 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 mm. when someone hands me a playlist and it's got more than 30 tracks on it i'm just thinking mate i i could barely make 20 mm. you know like mm. 30 40 50 60 70 80 tracks 100 tracks no yeah your power of discernment kind of runs out there as well because like in theory the idea of having access to john martin's entire back catalog is that oh wow i can listen through to everything and mm. see exactly which tracks are the best out of everything but that's not how it works because your brain and your ears get jaded after a yeah. certain amount of time so you just miss those things it's pointless and, you know, I've been in the position where I've had to do that. I've, I've done um, five-hour David Bowie sets. As a matter of fact, the last David Bowie set I did at Spiritland was, um, it was six hours because the DJ coming after me was oh, late. And I, I had, so I'd already done five hours of nothing but David uh. Bowie. And then I got a text message saying, can you do another hour? <laughs> like, oh, did you just okay. go back to the start again? Nah, I mean, like, you you know, the good thing about Bowie is he's got 35 years worth of records. So yeah. there was, I, I had plenty scope. And it's a subject that I no intensely so it yeah. wasn't difficult to carry on uh, had it been another artist I think I'd have definitely struggled <laughs> and, you know but I put a lot of work and effort into making that flow into you know making sure that it was representative of, of who he was and tried to tell the story and all that kind of stuff and then just jammed at the end <laughs> sometimes you're in a position where you have to fill the air I guess mm. and sometimes you know you just get carried away with your own enthusiasm but please if you're making a, a selection of music that you want someone to listen to just cap it off at mm. like an hour two hours mm. any more than that if it's a mix and, it, and it's all it's, it's representative of a night a period of time a usually three hours or whatever fine i get that mm. i don't expect everyone to co climb through all of my three hour mixes that i've got up but oh, if you really want me to pay attention to it just edit edit no one's got that much time mm. no one mm. Yeah, it's context, isn't it? It's yeah. context. And if you want people to pay attention, 
then uh, yeah, edit it down. I mean, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll have heard the pure, like, the, the volume of stuff that me and Eamon don't like. <laughs> you know, it's highly unlikely if you make a long mix that uh, either of us are going to be into the whole thing. Well, I'm I'm kind enough to you know if I if I'm in the middle of a mix and there's something I don't like I will grit my teeth and I'll I'll go through it because I I like to think certainly maybe less so in a, in a, a Spotify playlist but mm. if someone's you know DJed and and live recorded themselves doing a physical thing then I will I will drag myself through the tracks that aren't really for me hoping that something better will be coming up next. And I, I want to see maybe the juxtaposition of those tracks will make me think more kindly of it. Mm. But really, the, the, I think the real trouble is that with um, electronic playlists, it's almost no effort to do one. <laughs> and so as a result, it just, you know, you think, oh, I could put on uh, B-52s there. Oh, B-52s. Oh, B-52. no, Legay, that was a B-52. I'll put that on next. Oh. And you get this kind of rambling... You've got all the records in the world on the internet and you just, people, just stop, just stop somewhere. <laughs> so everyone's going to write to me now and say, but you've done 10 hour mixes. Yeah, I feel it's I, more likely that whoever is, whoever has uh, uh, pushed you over the edge by sending you a mix that's too long with the B-52s next to Enola Gay is going to listen to this and be really offended. I have to say, now I think about it. See, I love it when there's like a, Maybe not a, a, a musical connection, but a, like a thought connection between mm. two tracks. That is quite clever. That mm. is quite clever. Mm. So I'm just off to do a mixtape of the B-52s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to be making a mental note of that. Oh, that's a clever <laughs> thing that I said. Save that for later. Uh, uh, listen, but do send your, send your mixes in. I'm, I'm not saying don't. I mean, do your thing. Just, just edit every now and again. Yeah, That's the art. Curate. Frankenstein, you've always got something on your mind. Please let it out and let the world know what goes around. I don't have many people to share it with apart from you, to be fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the sounding board. <laughs> you a, are. A psychiatrist yeah. who doesn't get paid. <laughs> like, a, yeah, like a cab driver. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. One minute I'm someone with a degree level job getting 50 grand a year, and now I'm driving a cab all night. No <laughs> offense to I cab drivers. Well, so there's this documentary which I keep meaning to watch. In fact, I'm going to put it on my list to watch it tonight about Stiff Records, Home of Madness and Ian Jury and all kinds of really mm. interesting people. Stiff Records. Uh, the documentary is called If It Ain't Stiff, It Ain't Worth the Fuck. Uh, I Need to Buy Some New Clothes. And there's a brilliant um, uh, t- vintage T-shirt with that written on it, which I came across on eBay for hundreds and hundreds of pounds. If it ain't stiff, it ain't worth the fuck with the brilliant Stiff Records logo on it. Mm-hmm. And they do reproductions of it. So I sent, just as a sense check, because obviously a T-shirt that says fuck on it, you can't buy something like that without running it past someone you're going to be seen in public with regularly. So I sent it to Tim and I was like, what well, can I, <laughs> what do you think of this T-shirt? <laughs> can, I, can I buy this? And he said... It reminded him of those birthday cards you see all over the place that are like, happy birthday, limp dick. <laughs> and said that no one would get it. And it was really lame. Um, 
So I, want, I, I didn't get the answer I wanted there. So now I'm turning to you. Can I get away with a T-shirt that says, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth the fuck? Well, listen, I'm not your boyfriend. and I'm not the one wandering around with the It's not that I have got a limp dick, right? It's not, it's not me. So that's why I, this is, I don't give a shit. You go right ahead. I think it's always a tricky one when you have um, sweary words. You remember when we had Joe Wallace on, on the podcast? She was talking about, in the early days, Madness got their first run of, t-shirts printed and it says um oh fuck uh, art let's dance yeah fuck art let's dance so all these t-shirts said fuck art let's dance and she said like she met them down the king's road and they were all like miserable because no one would buy them because (laughs) you know in the in the late 70s that was like really on you know you just didn't see language Mm, like that anywhere back then do you know i mean it was it was really really rude so um no one would buy them except her and she wore it to the hundred club being a punk because she's a goddess like joe wallace i do have a t-shirt that says fuck art let's money <laughs> that's a little bit more me nice one i like it um i once um with my mate rob uh rob vickers we um we got two bottles of clan dieu do you know what clan dieu is no <laughs> this is so we were little goths right um uh very little money obviously but you could get this stuff called clan dieu and it was fortified whiskey wine Ooh. so it was like the dregs of the whiskey barrel and mixed with some terrible cheap Scottish wine. I didn't even know they made that. It was rank, but it was like 17% or something. And and we basically chugged a bottle of that each and hitched our way to Oxford uh, from Banbury to go and see the Inspiral Carpets. And... um, Oh, it was just a brilliant gig. Mm. We were really, by the time we got there, we were so drunk. We were like... Ah, la, la. And there was some... Like little twee indie bands, it might have been the Driscolls or you know one of those Sarah Records Field Mice type bands mm. that did little. I'm in love with someone and it's nice, and then the song stops. And goes, I'm not in love anymore and it's not nice, and the song stops. And it, every song was like a minute and a half long, and just something about I'm in love, I'm not in love, and it stops. And every time we started to dance, it stopped, and we, because we were so trapped, we we're kind of basically just falling over uh, because we were expecting more rhythm to hit us. Anyway, they they went by in a blink of an eye and then Spiral Carpets came on and absolutely tore the place apart. It was fabulous. They did like a 15-minute version of Plane Crash and all this sort of stuff. So it was just a doozy of a concert. And I bought one of their T-shirts, which used to have a cow on the front and said, cool as fuck, across the top. Mm. And I I loved this T-shirt. I thought it was a fucking Don in this. Of course, my mother was horrified, <laughs> absolutely horrified. After a couple of weeks, it went in the wash and I didn't see it again. <gasps> and oh, I tell you, me. it must have been 15, 20 years later. She says, ah, oh, well, I suppose you can have this back. <laughs> <gasps> she kept it all that time as well. She she swiped my Inspiral Carpets t-shirt and kept it in her drawer underneath all her nails. <laughs> So I wouldn't find it until for nearly she, 20 years. <laughs> until she knew you were sensible enough never to wear it in public again. Is that yeah. the idea? Well, this, for the shame, the shame of it all. The shame. Oh. <laughs> That's probably so, worth a few bob now, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure where it is now. The, the, the moment had passed by the time I got it back and I wasn't really keen on wearing an Inspiral Carpets t-shirt anymore. Fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's a tricky one. You know, really rude things can be a problem. I remember when, um, so I've got a kid now. And uh, although, I, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not prude and I don't mind swearing. I'm, I'm fucking, I'm a real fucking fan of fucking <laughs> swearing. But, you know, my kid goes to a school and other parents don't feel like that. And, and there are just rules and established norms that you have to make sure your kid doesn't fall into. So, yeah, but, you know, when your kids are a certain age, like, <laughs> we were walking down to school one day and she's just learning to read and she goes, Daddy, 
What's that word for? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> written oh, on the wall dear. over there. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure. You, you know, you, you can't make a fuss of it. You can't tell them off. If you do that, it becomes a no-no mm. word and they want it. And, you know, at the same time, you don't want to, like, just gloss it. It was a very awkward position to be in. Um, and so I'm in the position now where I have to mind things like that. And I can remember going to um, the Museum of Childhood and uh, someone had this T-shirt that just had fuckity fuck 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 all written all over it. What? <laughs> and all these kids were staring up at it and all the other parents were going, oh, God. Who I'm was at the Museum of Childhood? I mean, there's only the school museum groups of childhood. who go to the I know, Museum of Childhood. Some so, weirdo hanging out there with their controversial, t- I'll show you established norms. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> I like the rebel attitude of it all, and I'm not really approved, but I just can't have my kid going into school and saying fuckity fuck. Mm. So, you know, you become a prude as you become a parent. Um, and now I, I'm, I'm a little more reticent. Certainly I, I couldn't wear that T-shirt now because my kid would start getting herself in detention, you know? Yeah, so you're saying if I buy this Stiff Records T-shirt that says, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck... I can't wear it around my boyfriend. I can't wear it around you. <laughs> Just have to wear no, it no, no, around no, the no. house by myself. I think you can wear it around your boyfriend. I just think if you're walking down the street with him, you need to make it clear to people that it's not a social commentary on Tim's prowess. Well, maybe it is. Maybe that's why I'm wearing oh, it. Jesus, don't say that. This is a podcast. People are listening. <laughs> No, I mean, maybe that's why, you know, anyway, we won't go into it, obviously. I mean, You're getting a letter from your boyfriend. <laughs> I meant it in a positive way, as yeah. in like, the, eh. anyway, you can top that whole bit out in the edit. What I'm <laughs> like, saying, like, fuck, I will. <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's that kind of thing you're always searching for, isn't it? Where it's like, you wear a t-shirt like that, you hope that one person out of all the people you encounter around Hackney that day, or, you know, whenever we're allowed outside mm. the boundaries of Hackney, someone is going to clock it and know what it's about and you'll have yeah. that little connection. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what we're that, that's what we're all looking for, that little connection. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not going to find that from you, not going to find that from Tim. <laughs> Maybe I should buy the T-shirt and try and find it just, elsewhere. Just, you can wear it and you can wear it with Tim, providing he's all right with that. Uh, you know, just don't wear it in front of my daughter. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And the trouble with wearing stuff is like, it's just out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And my, my daughter will be going... If it ain't if it ain't worth a foot, uh, daddy, and then I'll have that awkward conversation again, and I don't want that. Okay, you've officially made it sound unappealing. <laughs> I think that settles that. I actually, I actually like the T-shirt. Sounds great. Sounds great. Get it, get it, get it. Anyway. <laughs> back on the podcast in series one we had uh, a long and arduous conversation which verged slightly on an argument about how to appropriately file one's records we talked about it um, listeners got involved and sent in their opinions and uh, I had a think and I thought there's someone I know who can come in and give us the definitive guide on how to file our records properly none other than the actual Dr Frankenstein my sister Dr. Beck Grant, who has a, a PhD in archiving and uh, is uh, certainly well-placed to advise us on this very serious matter. Dr. Grant, thanks for joining us on the podcast. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. I wouldn't say my area of expertise is necessarily filing records, but I'm going to do my best. So I'm not a medical doctor. I have a PhD in archival science, which is not actually just about putting things away. Okay, archival science. I like it. I like it. This is the person we need to talk to, isn't it? I agree. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, she's my sister, so I'm not necessarily going to take her advice just on principle, but I'm curious to hear what she has to say. Let's talk archiving, Beck. Is that okay? I would love to. So uh, I just got a couple clever questions that I thought I might throw at you to uh, warm you up. Um, So uh, when you think about archiving, are you worried that in the future digital archives may become obsolete and precious data lost? That is a fascinating question, Eamon. Um, So actually, I think digital archiving is maybe even more important than our classic paper archiving because Mm. digital files are much more vulnerable. So in the same way that a record is uh, easier to store and to keep safe than maybe an MP3, um, it's the same with all files. So it's something that I think everybody needs to be thinking about. See, your your knowledge is reflecting on me and I'm feeling cleverer. I've got another one. Wait, wait. Shh, Frankie, get back. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. You go on. So uh, I've read, and obviously you worked in the Irish Film Archive, which is a big archive of Irish films, I'm guessing. There is, so I've heard, an archive of pretty much everything that has ever been published in terms of the British Library and the Bodleian Library and such places. Who decides what gets archived? And if they're archiving everything, where are they keeping it all? Because that must be a lot of stuff. A library would tend to focus on things that are published. So that might be uh, books, newspapers, journals, for example. And the way that the British Library decides what to keep is uh, they're a copyright library. So everything that's published with an ISBN in uh, the UK and Ireland goes into the British Library. So that's Uh, They have an easy time of deciding what should go in there. Mm. Archive focuses mainly on unpublished sources, so that could be um, maybe the personal collection of a writer, Um, could be, say, a film script, so things that uh, there's only one copy of. Um, And again, maybe that makes it easier to think about what you should keep or not. Um, Mm. But we can't keep everything, so there are um, archival methods of deciding, so we would call that appraisal. So what's going to have enduring value over time? And uh, that helps us decide what to keep. Mm, OK, you can speak, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, what? Uh, hang on. So I want to go back to what you're talking about, about digital files being more vulnerable, because anyone who owns records will know that, you know, the more you play them, the, the more sort of crackly and damaged they tend to get. Are you saying that in some ways records are, are more robust in terms of a way to store your music than, than MP3s are? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say in every way a record is more robust. Um, You have a physical record in your hand, you can look after it well. Um, It might degrade over time. Uh, The good thing about records is they are uh, somewhat replaceable. So say you had a very crackly record, you might decide actually to go and get another copy of it. Um, If you have an MP3, uh, so say an MP3 of this conversation and you want to access it in 10 years or even in a week, you could um, open it one time and it's gone. So the files become corrupt and probably there's no copy of it. Uh, So that's why we think of digital files as more vulnerable. So what you're really saying is that records are better than MP3s. That's that's when it comes comes right down to brass tacks. That's what you're saying, isn't it? I'm saying from a preservation perspective, records are safer than MP3s. You heard it here first, what goes around, (laughs) listeners. It's official. This is a doctor telling you with a PhD. 
This isn't this isn't me banging on about vinyl. This is a doctor, a woman who knows. My collection doesn't have to be filed the same way as everyone else's if I have specific needs. And that's not wrong. Exactly. That was exactly what I was thinking when I listened to your conversation from the last season. Um, I think you were getting a bit caught up in what's right or wrong or what should be the case in your own collection. Right. So let me get this straight, Dr. Becky. Right. First of all, Records are better than MP3s. And second of all, I'm right. <laughs> I, I think you could draw those conclusions from what I've said. I like you more than I like your sister. <laughs> oh, screw you guys. Someone told me that you can just... Because I'm wondering what I'm going to do with all my records once I, I shuffle this mortal coil off, mm. which won't be long, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know. If the kid doesn't want them, do you know... I've heard that you can um, you can give your private collection to the British Library and they will archive it for you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you contact the British Library and say that to them, they'll be like, Jesus Christ, who keeps telling people this? <laughs> like, I doubt there's anything that they don't have. <laughs> people used to do that to us all the time in the film archive. Really? They'd be like, I have a VHS of... Um, Far and away. <laughs> Could I donate that to you? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm you slightly disappointed. Because <laughs> oh. I thought that, you know, I'm an important historical figure, so they'd want to, you know, for the people researching me after my death. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, if you manage to raise your profile enough that your collection would... Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean if I manage to raise a profile? Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, why don't you ask them about it? That's all I'll say. Yeah. God. <laughs> okay, there are loads and loads of difficulties when you file records away, right? And so I just wanna I just wanna quick answers on a couple of these. Okay. Do film soundtracks go under the title of the composer or under the title of the film? I think the more standard way would be the title of the composer. What about ones that have song tracks, though? You see? System's fallen apart already. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, no composer. So do song tracks, songs that feature in a movie, so does that then go under Pulp Fiction, P, or does it go under various artists? Oh, I hate various artists. I, I hate that too. It's the world's worst. <laughs> under the film title. Good. Um, only because I'm thinking from the perspective of what somebody would find useful when they're looking for it. Yeah, not yeah that's how I feel as well. I'm right again. I like this. <laughs> okay, right, so, so quick, simple ones. These are the ones we actually talked about in the podcast the other day. So orchestral manoeuvres in the dark, OMD, where do you put them? So I would have put them under OM because I, really? didn't, I didn't know what it stood for. <laughs> <laughs> well, She's not well, a fan either, Eamon. <laughs> Jesus, what's, where, you, where did you guys grow up? <laughs> See, I get I, REM. Hardly anyone ever talks about REM as rapid eye movement, but people say orchestral maneuvers in the dark all the time. Do they? We're talking, yes! about, we're talking about normal people here, not people who are obsessed with OMD, like you and a large proportion of our <sighs> listenership. Oh, well, so what you're saying is basically you go you go for the initialized version. I would go for the version that more people are familiar with, so you might know better than me. Uh, okay, well, following on from that, rappers who use a stage name. Now, if your name is Jay-Z, are you going to file that under Z because he's Mr. Z, or are you going to file it under J because he's Jay-Z? J. <gasps> he's <God>. Mr. Z. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's probably not even Mr. J. 
<laughs> in fairness. Okay, okay, this is good. This is good. We're getting somewhere now. Um, uh, a similar question to the rap question. Okay, I have two records. Uh, they are DJ Punk Rock and DJ Pierre. Where do they go? Do they all go under DJ or do they go under Pierre and Punk? Yeah, DJ. That's her name. DJ. <gasps> That is useless. That is, <laughs> is beyond useless. Do you know how many records I've got that are by a DJ? I would be there for months. within DJ. Oh, but who's got time for that? The, the D section would be a mile long. <laughs> and that's okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll take the punishment with that one because you've been very kind to me so far and I already feel 30% more clever than I did when we started this. Okay, so here's a big one. There's a band called 23 Skidoo. Right? Is yeah. There? Yeah, you know there is. Them. They're, they're, a, they're like a post. They're definitely on an album that we both listened to when we were teenagers. Hummus? <laughs> they're not oh, really a very hummable band. band and yeah, it's kind of like noise post punk type, type stuff. Anyway, the, the point is numbers two, three, skidoo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also a band called Eight Story Window. Mm-hmm. And they spell their names E I, you know, eight spelt out. So. Do I put 23 Skidoo at the beginning in a separate pile altogether from the whole of the alphabet for numbers, or maybe at the end for numbers, or do I put them under T for 23? And following on from that, secondary question, amendment, eight story. If it begins with E, does that go in E or is it eight? Does it go in its own eight number or what? Come on, answer. Um, so I think the way you said it the first time so separate number section before the alphabet starts and then if the band chooses to write out the letters uh, so E I G H D I guess if it was uh, 20 golden greats that wouldn't matter because that would go under various artists according to you is that what I said well that's what I'm asking (laughs) (laughs) so now I've got I've got 20 great hits from the 50s right at the moment I've got that under T because it's spelt 20. Does it stay no, that's there? That's the name of the Does album, it... though. Huh? No. That's the so name of the, the album. Of, the name of the album 20... is 20, 20 Great Hits from the 50s. Yeah, you can't right? put that under T. No. You can't. Well, even though it's, even though it's spelt. Well, by creator or album title. Well, it, it can't be by creator because it's a various artist. This is like watching oh. Piers Morgan <laughs> <laughs> arguing with the coronavirus doctors on this morning. <laughs> And so I've been very hard on you, I know, but it's for your own good. Uh, the British public are sick of experts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, though, that's given me that's quite a lot of work I've got to do now, I think, because mm. I've got to take all the numbered people and put them in a numbered section on their own. Would, would that go at the start or at the end? Oh, at the start. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm okay. just thinking of what's pleasing. Like yeah, looking through them. yeah. <laughs> we're all about pleasure here. This is this is what it's all about. Genres, right? So I've got different genres. Now the trouble with genres is sometimes records could probably belong to one or two. Um, within those genres, I presume you would say they have to be done alphabetically within the genre by artists. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but that is an approach. Yes. Okay, that is an approach. See, nah, that's wishy washy. <laughs> <laughs> not not really sold on that answer that's, that's not so, well, that okay. is what you do isn't it <laughs> uh, well I tell you, here's another one that I do so uh, disco because I mix disco and disco is very hard to mix because the speeds vary all the time so I have, um, I have a lot of my disco is filed away uh, by artist title 
within the disco section but i have a large working section a bit like Anne's easy access section um which i file by bpm so how fast the tempo is of the record so i know if i'm looking for something that will go nicely with something that's 110 bpm i just i would the, well, the way i look at it right because numbers are boring aren't they i'm sure that you being an archivist must think that all the time <laughs> i have a system with disco which is that the um the uh magma lava center of disco is Anita Ward, ring my bell. That's about 125 BPM. And then I have sections either side, which is um, slower than Anita Ward, ring my bell, much slower than Anita Ward, ring my bell. And then on the other side, I have faster than Anita Ward, ring my bell, and much faster than Anita Ward, ring my bell. That goes up to 140 BPM. Are you with me? Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have I lost the plot? So, on the face of it, it sounds like you have... <laughs> I'll take that as a win too If you go back to what Anne was saying about how she um, manages her record collection um, and it sounded like well this is a very kind of DJ led way to organise a record collection and I'm just thinking maybe um, record collectors have been overly influenced by the way that record shops are set up I think mm. if you find it very helpful to organize your records by BPM because you're, uh, I assume, mixing them, um, then that seems like a really exciting, cool, new way to organize a record collection. And maybe what you should be thinking about, instead of looking at maybe library approaches, archives approaches, record shop approaches, is actually a new manifesto for managing a record collection that's much more DJ focused. <sighs> I can see the book now. A new <laughs> manifesto for DJs by DJ Eops, the Black Wax Solution. Ah, oh, I've got ambition now. Ambition I never knew I had. I think this you could be onto something. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, you know, it's a complete pain in the ass because uh, it's all right if you are just like grasping for something to mix in. But if you're looking for a specific record, you then have to remember what BPM it is, and that can be quite tricky. Mm. But I thought you know you're a pro DJ. Yeah, man. See? Hear that? Hear that, Franco? <laughs> I heard it, yeah. <laughs> good, good. OK, well, listen, you've done very well with this, because this is, this is hard questioning. Couple more, right? So I've got my A to Z of me, me rock and pop and all that sort of stuff. Now, I've got a lot of David Bowie records, because I'm a bit obsessed by him. So, you know, there's, there's like, you know, 30, 40, 50 records there. Within the David Bowie section, but should I have them by title, as in, you know, A to Z within A to Z, or should I have them chronologically according to the artist? My inclination would be chronological, because I mm. think to me that's how I would look for them. But I think either approach could work. Which way do you have them currently? It, they were chronological, but I played a big gig at Spiritland not long ago and I had to take them all out, so they're all in the wrong order now. But, um, you know, that's filing for you. The job never ends, you know? It's like painting the fourth bridge. No, if you don't put them away properly. I mean, that's a whole other issue. Hey, hey, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any idea how many I've got? It's, it, it, uh, this is a constant struggle. I take your point. I think chronologically for an artist is better too, because I think if you look through it, not only um, should you be able to find what you need fairly easily, but also you get a feel for that artist's career and how their music has changed over the years. And I like that. Is it okay to keep records in the kitchen cupboard when there are obviously kitchen supplies that should be there um do you mean 
is it okay to take up space that is needed in the kitchen because you bought too many records? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's basically what I'm saying. Um, I'm going to say no. I mean, it's not a good place to store records anyway because you probably have fluctuations in temperature, in dampness uh. when you're cooking. Um, secondly, I imagine the people you live with would find it quite annoying. They do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> a nerve there. <laughs> Um, I, I have one more question for you before we before we end this confrontation. <laughs> um, if you had a, a record, I mean, you do have a small record collection, but if you were to have a, if you were to expand your record collection, um, how would you file them? What would be the system that you'd adopt? Um, I think so. When I had quite a big CD collection, um, they were all alphabetical, and I think if I was doing it again, I would probably. Um, start out maybe alphabetical and then just see what am I coming to the most like what am I looking for would I rather have like my top my top records mm. uh, easier to access the Frankenstein um, method is what you're saying I see a lot of value in the Frankenstein method <laughs> well listen Dr Grant PhD you have really helped us out here because um, we've we've found some some pure truth about the world of filing, which is that vinyl is better than MP3s. I'm right. Frank can have her system if she wants. <laughs> and uh, and that basically, um, look after your records. Don't worry too much because, you know, it's all about how you use them. Exactly. And I look forward to seeing what you come up with at the end of it all. <laughs> Thanks, well, thank Dr. You. Beck. Very, very good. What we're, gonna, what, we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. That's right. Name that tune. Name that tune. Known as a musician and uh, as a spoken word artist, she rode the crest of the New York no wave scene with the band Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. Uh, went on to make all kinds of wonderful music and collaborate with uh, everyone from Nick Cave to Mark Almond to Sonic Youth. Since then, she's diversified in all kinds of different directions, uh, built up an enormous body of work, moving into acting and filmmaking, writing. Her autobiography, Paradoxia, came out in the mid-90s. She's also a self-empowerment speaker and a brilliant podcaster too, not to mention an eternal style icon. We are thrilled to welcome Lydia Lunch to the podcast. Welcome, Lydia. Well, I'm suddenly thrilled to be myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> as you should be, as you should I, be. That was a fantastic intro. <laughs> Good. I was, was everything correct? There were no red herrings in there. Oh, honey, you could go on for days, but why should we? Because <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it, Lydia. We're so yeah. thrilled to have you. And uh, obviously, we've asked you to pick um, three tracks uh, to, to illustrate some phonographic memories. Um, but before we get into that... Well, I have two questions, really. Um, everyone talks with great nostalgia about the New York scene in the late 1970s, punk and no wave and everything else that was happening then. Um, and I do want to go back there a little bit and touch on some of that stuff. But do you ever get sick of, of people's nostalgia for that period? Well, they may have nostalgia, but I don't. I'm still alive, breathing, and doing mm. shit all the time. So, you know, it, it's nostalgic to people 
perhaps that weren't there. They don't realize how, like Brixton at the same period, how brutal it was and dangerous and also delightful. Let's admit facts. But life goes on. Things change. Everything is cyclical. Everything gets altered in one way or another. You just have to, I mean, to me, look, I still have most of the friends from that period. They're still all fucking weird. Most are still alive. <laughs> we go on. I'm more nostalgic for, you know, the, the 20s Paris, which I wasn't in, or the 30s Berlin than I am for the 70s New York, although they all had something in common. I often have that thing where I talk to um, uh, younger people because I kind of grew up, um, I was born in the 70s, 1970. But I grew up in, through the 80s. That was like kind of my era. And um younger people they, they said oh it must have been brilliant in the 80s you know all shoulder pads and and yuppies and all that sort of thing no it's horrible we <laughs> we thought the world really was going to end it was Reagan really, and Thatcher and war it was a horrible decade yeah <laughs> <laughs> I have no nice memories about it everyone was unemployed it was dark all the time there's a you know just uh, a raging paranoia going on in the world I guess we've come full circle on that as well <laughs> you're ruining the fantasy <laughs> Everybody's allowed to dream if they want to. <laughs> Just why do you have to dream about nightmares? Well, yeah, well, let's talk about that because you mentioned that you, you still hang around with the same bunch of weirdos. Was it feeling like a weirdo and, and an outsider that sort of drove you to New York during that time? Because you were super young when you started out on that scene. Well, I can't say I still hang around with them, but I'm still friends with them because people have scattered. But, you know, Connie Berg, who was my guitar inspiration in the band Mars, which was also on No New York. I mean, I do still see her. Mark Cunningham, who was in Mars, lives in Barcelona, which I lived there for a while. So I would see him. But, um, yeah, we were the, the thing about No Wave, which I guess separated us from everything else is we were pretty hateful. We weren't political at that point. It was more personal insanity. And we were the most extreme of what was going on then. And it's not like no wave. When you see any other kind of music, there's kind of a parameter of sound that you can identify. But with no wave, I mean, everything sounded different. But most of it was just atrociously anti-audience, unfriendly, mm. non-melodic, except the contortions who were melodic. And we were kind of driven together just because we were so separate from everything else. So. I can really see that because I was, I was listening to the Teenage Jesus and the Jerks album sort of earlier on today. And what struck me is that, um, you know, with, with a lot of, of, of uh, looking back at the punk era or whatever, there, there are kind of recognisable tropes that go on. And as a result, a lot of that music kind of dates very quickly. Um, but it, your stuff just has no... It, it doesn't care about any of those rules. You know, the, the songs <laughs> burst in like an axe through a door. They smash you around the face. You know, it, it, they're short, they're, they're choppy. They don't have a, an intro or an outro, so to speak. They're, they're just, uh, they're like a little force of nature and it, it still sounds incredible. Well, we rehearsed a lot because if we were going to be that dissident, and I did train the band with a metal coat hanger, to not make mistakes. <laughs> and actually the best the best teenage Jesus out there is something that Weasel Walter put together, which is a compilation of, you know, live material. I think there's 27 songs in 32 minutes. All right. Uh, our longest set was I think 13 minutes because what's the point? And you make the <laughs> point who could take anymore. And um, even though I was I was more influenced by literature than music, but 
the music that did interest me at the time, like Richard Hell and I love Robert Klein, the guitar player, went on to work with him, but it just had to be anti-everything because basically I was pretty anti-everything at the time. Well, let's talk about that. Like, rewind, because like I said, you know, you arrived on the scene pretty early in life and then you essentially invented it a genre of music like what what were you listening to you know Richard Hell obviously became a contemporary but like be, before you got on that scene like what are your memories of of listening to music and how did it sort of push you in that direction yeah I got to New York between the ages of 16 and 17 but I originally thought I was going to be a spoken word artist but it didn't exist in New York at that time there was rock poetry of Patti Smith but uh there wasn't and I'm not a slam poet there wasn't it was post Lenny Bruce, post beat poets, etc. So instead, I form a band that's half instrumental. Okay, bizarre. And a lot of people were terrified of me. I mean, like Richard Heller, David Byrne, because I was just too aggressive. And I know nothing, still know nothing about music per se. My motto is if you don't have a vision, don't give it a sound. But I did have a vision of what I wanted to create. And I don't know what else to say about that. Mm, it just came out of you. Well, it was a hideous din, a tantrum, a tantrum really. Yeah, it had to be done. Yeah. Was it a catharsis for you? Because you said it was like anti-everything. Is that the way you were feeling about the world at that time? Is well, that still the way you can, feel? If you can get cathartic in seven minutes, good luck, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get these days, Lydia. Exactly. Well, put it, put it this way. I guess my... Hatred has been finessed because, well, first of all, this is something that, unless you've met me, and right now you probably even know me more than most people because we're talking. I never get mad on a personal level. I don't hold grudges. My anger is on a global scale. It's mm. never, I'm non-judgmental. I mean, you could be as big an asshole as you want. I don't want to be around you. I won't be around you. Hey, everybody's an asshole at some time. So my, you know, and my... My uh, vision for attacking was always the father, God, the father, the father of my country. So as it broadened out, as it got less personal and more political, I think not that my anger or hatred dissipated, but it was finessed. So, for instance, I may consider myself the liver of America because I have to siphon all the shit that goes down here into some kind of poetic spoken word. But basically, uh, the perversity about me is I'm, I've always been kind of laughing at the mouth of the apocalypse because to me, it's the same as it ever fucking was. These are historical cycles we go through. And you can blame it on the patriarchy. That's one of the problems. Men in positions of power who are just greedy and kleptocratic and who have no regard for the individual, for women, for other, whatever that other is. What are we going to do? Fear of a female planet, as I've always said. Well, then yeah. I've decided to just, not that I live in my own, I try to create my own utopia, meaning a community where you can communicate with like-minded people, create, and be as much off the grid as possible. I mean, with my podcast, The Lydian Spin, every introduction is political because I can't shut up about it. Mm. Unfortunately, this year has a new, it feels like a new breath of air, but we still have that asshole lingering and all of this devastation lingering. And you know what I'm talking about because you did yeah. have Margaret Thatcher and this is just a repeat of that kind of bullshit. But anyway, I pretty much laugh a lot. I'm kind of a chuckle fucker. And there's some <laughs> sadistic part of me that's just like, ha, 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 you idiot. <laughs> 
I, I tell you what, I'm going to add chuckle fucker to my CV. I want that. <laughs> That's hey. the new word, the new lexicon for hey, 2021. Join, join the club of happy haters. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that, you know, like we think these things are cyclical and, and, you know, whatever we've just got rid of, we've still got a lot of shit hanging around, you know what I mean? And actually we've got rid of it with another septuagenarian white guy who's been there for 50 years so it's not like the revolution hasn't happened we've just we've just flushed one of the biggest ones down the toilet that's all exactly let's move on to your first phonographic memory then should we get started i would love to (laughs) tell us about this one this delicious slice of of early 2000s uh, hip hop from Mystical bouncing back. What did you choose this one? Well, I I love uh, hip hop from that period. I love murder rap as well, but I love Mystical because he's kind of a cross between John Lydon and James Brown with Little Richard and the way that he would use funereal jazz. But what this song reminds me of, and by the way, I'm quite a bit of a nomad. I travel a lot as well, but I always love talking to taxi drivers. So I was nomading in Louisville, Kentucky, for a while. I didn't have a place to live, so I, in exchange for living in my friend's two-story shabby Victorian house, where I would repair it, they'd let me stay there. So, okay, I'm going to take a taxi one day. I love talking to cab drivers because they know everything. Every taxi driver in Louisville, Kentucky, is called Muhammad Ali because that's where <laughs> Muhammad Ali was from, <laughs> Kentucky. And I get in the cab, and he's playing the mystical. Uh, CD, who I love anyway. I'm like, oh, right, here we go. So that song comes on. And when it finishes, I said, where are you from, my friend? And he's like, hometown boy. I said, okay, you're from Louisville. So maybe you could answer this question for me. Go shoot. I said, have you ever seen a poster that said chicken found? He's like, what? I said, well, let me, let me tell you. I'm staying at my friend's house. Their backyard is like a block long. I see the neighbor down there one day. She summons me down. She goes, you got a chicken. I said, I don't have a chicken. She goes, well, you got a chicken. I was, I do not have a chicken. (laughs) What am I going to do with a chicken? She goes, well, look at it. And there was a beautiful red haired chicken. I said, well, I don't know. I I have no idea. And first of all, I didn't know chickens could jump up into a tree, but (laughs) they never saw it. So Every day it would come and at night it would go away, but then it stopped going away. So my neighbor who didn't have a backyard, so would use the one I had. It's like, do you mind if I build it a chicken coop? I said, I don't care if you build it a chicken coop. I'm not taking care of the goddamn chicken. So they build it a duplex. I mean, I I didn't see, I've never seen a dog house this big. And I'm like, all right, well, look, you take care of the chicken. You can have the egg. Just give me one or two occasionally. And the chicken laid blue eggs. But anyway, I'm in the taxi. I'm like, my friend, have you ever seen a poster chicken wanted? He goes, why? I go, well, I got a chicken, but it's not my chicken. Maybe I need to give it back. He goes, well, in Louisville, you can have three chickens without getting a license. Shall we play the CD again? I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I named the chicken after my dead mother, Lucy. And then, so I'm only there for a few months. I leave. I get a text from the neighbor going, well, there's two chickens now. I'm like, as long as they're not three, you're doing okay. <laughs> You don't have a license otherwise. You're gonna, there's going to be trouble, <laughs> I mean, paperwork, all that stuff. Uh, but I did want to post that poster because I never saw one that said chicken pound. And it laid, it laid blue eggs. Be- I mean, I don't even like eggs, but well, unless you eat an egg right out of a chicken's ass, honey, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> <laughs>
to the idea that when an animal chooses you mm. that's it that's fate you have to accept it into uh, your life well, and then not only I, does it choose you it lays blue eggs did you not take this as a sign, a sign from afraid? something well i would have preferred a black panther human or otherwise but that's okay <laughs> 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 i don't know what more to say about that I, I, i'm impressed with your neighbor just going oh, there's a chicken there it's not my chicken it's not even her chicken I think I'll spend a whole Saturday building it an apartment. <laughs> it is... was pretty, and that chicken might still be alive. What can I say? It'd be but, better than us, I imagine. Uh, I didn't know they could get 20 feet in the air. Maybe I watched too much of these little uh, these little videos online, but the dodo, if, if a chicken landed in my garden or anyone I knew, they would be filming it with one hand, trying to cuddle the chicken with the other hand, creating this beautiful narrative. Oh, so we spent Saturday building this chicken coop. You missed a trick there, Lydia. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I may have Facebook and Instagram, but I'm not the one posting that shit. So, honey, I ain't posting being a goddamn chicken. <laughs> that's just something I would like to see. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, we missed I, out on. Once you got that in your head, you won't be able to unsee it, trust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good story. It's tempting just to stop there because that is one of the best <laughs> intros we've ever had on this show, for sure. Well, they're only going to get worse. That's why uh, I decided to start with a bit of the lightweight. <laughs> the featherweight, shall we say. The featherweight, very good, very good. Uh, we, looking at, uh, at your choices, the next one, I hadn't heard this track, and um, uh, it is a jam. So tell us about Van Morrison and TV Sheets. This is an amazing song, and I also, like, I, I've covered it with Cypress Grove, and I'm going to yeah. send you my version because... No, I listened to it this afternoon. It's, it's, really, it's really amazing. Good. It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's, it's a great song. Anyway, I'm now living in Los Angeles, as a nomad, I do move around a lot. And I started an affair with this really handsome, much younger writer and invited him to come and stay. And he came, and I have to say, the first few months were absolutely fantastic. He was either, well, he was one of the best writers, but he must, must have been one of the best actors. But slowly that facade faded, and he started disintegrating into self-mutilation and mm. horrible, horrible horrible bad behavior so i just decided okay i've had enough and in some kind of twisted version that would cross freud with carl jung and the marquis decide uh, with the marquis decide i tied him to a chair one day and i played that song for six hours whoa and i just walked around him with a riding crop saying that if he ever cut himself again 
I would take the butcher knife and cut off one finger at a time until basically his arm was missing. He did not cut himself for quite a while after that. It reminds me of um, in the in the where was it? I think it's the Philippines years and years ago. There was like a, a hostage situation, and they played the American military played these boots are made for walking twenty four hours, like is, over yeah. and over again to try and break the the the, the psyche of the uh, the hostage takers. Similar to that. Well, he had a sickness. It wasn't TB, but I thought to cure a sickness, you might as well play a song that involves a sickness. Well, acting as sick as you can to try to cure him. It did work. <laughs> it did work for, for a while. Unfortunately, he's in prison for the next five years. Enough said. Okay. It, only, it only worked for a while, honey. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm a faith healer. <laughs> Some tough love. That's 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 all we're saying. How much of the, the efficacy do you think was down to the track versus you pacing around with the riding crop? Well, honey, I don't know, but this is about phonographing memories, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're hitting it on the head, mate. You're smashing this out of the park. <laughs> I tell you what, as well, good choice of song if you're going to play something over and over six hours because it's 10 minutes long, which means you can go and make a cup of tea in between <laughs> starting it again. Okay. Hey, ch- change your costume in case you're sweating too much. <laughs> exactly. Get yourself a fresh riding crop. Everything exactly. Put on those knee high boots. <laughs> Hell no, my lipstick smeared. I gotta go change that. I'll be right back in a couple of hours. Goddamn cocksucker. I would say for for listeners uh, who are more familiar with your uh, spoken word and um, no wave um, noises, um, I was uh, really impressed by uh, you haven't. You know, this isn't some trashy smash it out cover. It's a it's quite a beautiful beautiful composition. The way you've 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 covered this song, it's 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 really it's really very very pleasant to listen to I, I i stuck it on again straight away maybe i should have tied myself to a chair and just did some more honey there's always time for that just think about me when you do it <laughs> oh, that's sorry, Sunday, I'm, sorry i won't be in the uk soon enough to do that for you but i'm sure you'll have well practiced by the time i get there that's okay. I, I have to audio edit this whole interview so i can just take clips out and make that happen exactly <laughs> well I've, I've always i've always done cover songs i've always loved doing cover songs and i did a whole album of cover songs with cypress grove mm. which you know, people can go online and, and hear or, or get. Uh, I mean, I and I love covering unpredictable cover songs. Like on the Under the Covers album with Cypress Grove, I cover Who Would Have Fucking Thought Bon Jovi. No way. <laughs> Which one? I cover, 
cover, I cover Midnight Rider by Greg Allman. Now, the weird thing is, about three or four people died after I covered them. Now, I'm not saying any. I also cover Elvis Costello, I Want You, which is like oh, one, what of, the a most, tune. Oh, one no. of the most desperate love songs ever. Mm. It's just so beautiful. I cover a Hank Williams Jr. song. So I've always, I've always loved cover songs, and that really brings us to the next piece we're going to talk about. Mm, let's mm. go there. David Bowie. David Bowie covering Jacques Brel. My Death Waits There, which he ended the Ziggy Stardust tour with, and he just plays acoustic guitar, and it's heartbreaking. My death waits there Among the flowers Where the blackest shadow The blackest shadow cowers Let's pick lilacs for Passing time My death waits there In a double bed Sails of oblivion At my head So pull up the sheets against The passing time Whatever lies behind the door There is nothing much to do Angel or devil I don't care For in front of that door There is I had been, you know, I've often had cover songs where I had to look for years for the for somebody who could understand, for instance, why I would want to cover Blue Oyster Cult or, or mm. you know, uh, or Greg Allman, for instance. Mm. Or even worse, the band Everybody Truly Hates. Well, two bands that are really hateful that I covered, which is The Eagles, Hotel California. Mm. Oh, one of the worst songs ever until you hear my version, I must say. It somehow <laughs> changes everything. And also, the second most dreaded band in the world, Steely Dan. Oh, I see that. Yeah, they, okay. they're the ones that, that, that you, either, you either love the taste of cream in your tea or you cannot Ooh. bear it. And well, I mean, get back, back, do it again. It's all about gambling and the threat of murder. So the thing is, we've heard these songs a million times, but we never really listened to the lyrics that closely. Mm. So I like to go in and take those, because the, the lyrics are important. And if I hated the song, I'm going to find a way to make it. Although I don't really twist it that much. It's just a different thing. So anyway, I've been looking for years for somebody to do the perfect person to do My Death Waits there. And finally, I'm doing like just a, a very short spoken word thing at this kind of, you know, solo performer review that my friend had set up. And this really gorgeous Bowie look, like a young Bowie, Owen McCarthy gets up and does some solo song. And I'm like, oh, he is the perfect one. And he had a great band called The Every Others. So he was just coming off of a bad jag, but he was on the uprise. I mean, he had a lot of things that were coming, that we were, were really turning for the better. So I proposed we do this song. And we were hanging out a bit. And so we went into his bedroom to record it. 
And the first time we recorded, I haven't released this because, well, when you hear the story, you'll know why. So we recorded it. And for some reason, the first take was just erased. So we went back and did it again. And the first thing he says is, he's no longer with us. Which meant, because he had been playing along to the song. Because even though it's a acoustic song, it's still very tricky. And he did an amazing version. And I put my vocals on it. And it was absolutely incredible. So, okay, I, a few days later, I go to make, to start making a video for it. One of my favorite songs. And I would say, Owen, can you come over and just, you know, let's make out for the last verse. And I, you know, okay, maybe tomorrow. Okay, And it kept stalling and finally a few days later radio silence radio silence forever since mm. then he disappeared he disappeared he left his dog you know you might leave a cat you don't leave a dog mm. he left his dog he left his passport and this was four or five maybe six years ago he's not been heard from or seen since wow. now i had borrowed a copy of my favorite book and he had a very dog-eared copy of Henry Miller's Tropic of Capricorn and I had this book for a few years and one day I'm looking through it it has my favorite passage in all of literature in it and I see what I just thought was for a few years this I thought was a blank white bookmark and I open it up and it's like a like an adoption certificate or a naturalization certificate with his photo on it. But he's still not been found. Wow. And it wasn't long after that that Bowie died. He disappeared. My death waits there. I'm going to send it to you both for your own private listening because it's one of the only yeah. things I've never released. And, you know, oh, now it's Bowie's death anniversary. I just, it's so beautiful and it's so breathtaking but what am I supposed to do with it? And it's, mm. I, I can't say, oh, if he ever returns. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. Mm, because nobody knows. And that's, you know, just nobody, nobody knows at all. And, you know, I mean, whether it was suicide, mysterious disappearance, wanting to fall off the face of the earth or something tra tragically horrible. You know, I'm doing a documentary now called Artist, Depression, Anxiety, and Rage. And I've already interviewed... 29 people because I think it's important in this day and age that we talk about this because especially in these times and the fact that you know 73 I think it's a higher percentage they say that 73 percent of musicians have some kind of mental health problem so one thing about if it was suicide and nobody's ever found the body is people often don't commit suicide when they're at their lowest point they often commit it when they're on the way back up mm -hmm. which is just so bizarre. So anyway, that's my funny, hilarious, and tragic phonographic memories, my friends. If you you know the the very the title of the song and then a story oh. like that, it, it's it, that that is a a real heartbreaker and you know it makes you it makes you think deeply instantly. His band was called the Every Other, the Every Others, and there's a few. YouTube videos and what was so great about them. I mean, they were such a great classic kind of every song they had sounded like a cover song, but classic kind of glam, good rock. He was so gorgeous, so loved. He worked at this one bar in New York for years and has just kind of left a lot of people with a hole in their heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's always the way, isn't it? Is it whatever, whatever 
you are going through in your your personal life or if you do something if you remove yourself from that scene you you then pass a lot of that angst and upset on to all those people that are left behind and that right that and, does... and it's different it's different than just natural or even accident it's different than death when you know it's happened mm. because i mean i always feel that you know people don't cry for the dead they cry for themselves they cry i always say you need to focus and I just had a friend die yesterday who was on my podcast three weeks ago. I was going to say, Ricky Powell, Ricky I'm Powell. so sorry. And and the thing is, what I always say when people die is you can't focus on the loss you feel. You have to focus on the benefit, the joy, the beauty they brought into your life. That's what you have to keep. It's the same in relationships. You know, yes, it's painful when it happens, but focus on the benefit, the beauty, the love, the talent, the genius, not on the fact that you can't have any more. Mm. Wise words, I would say, wise That's words. from Dr. Lunch. Dr. Lunch. So you, you, um, you're you a self-empowerment um, speaker now. Does, does, okay, um... let me correct you for a minute. <laughs> they, <laughs> okay. they call it that. But really what I do is I do spoken word workshops and mainly focusing on women. Yeah. So you can call it an empowerment. It's more like an artistic empowerment workshop Yeah. where, you know, I, I mean, I taught at the San Francisco Art Institute for one semester and as a, as a high school dropout, <laughs> I've taught at a few, I taught at a few universities, but I refuse to, to allow anyone to criticize anyone. It's like, you have to find one thing that you like. So my spoken word workshops are just helping, especially women find their voice they may never do a spoken word performance most women write or keep journals get those out from under the bed ladies but you might have to speak at a funeral a wedding or a, just do a soliloquy in your in your salon living room one day and it's really wonderful so it's i don't call them empowerment workshops but it is very empowering and i continue to do those and, and love to do them i just taught a a class at the at art university in lausanne switzerland by zoom of course now but it's it's so great to encourage people and to help them find, you know, the specific the specific part of their vision, which separates it from everything else. Because as I like to say, if you don't have a vision, don't give it a sound. If you don't have a vision, don't fucking paint a paint. <laughs> but if you do, let's let, let's go forward with that. Let's stimulate that vision. It's really interesting hearing you talk about um you know, focusing these these um, these sessions on women, because traditionally, you know, women are trying not to be outspoken. People have been talking about this a lot, especially lately. But like, do you see yourself as being quite anomalous in that way? Because like you've been provocative and outspoken and um, outgoing about your vision in a way, you know, you, you genuinely don't don't really give a shit what other people think about what it is you're doing. I mean, do you do you see that as an anomalous thing in yourself? Being now, a woman me, and having a this way, I've had a lot of fucking criticism early on because people couldn't handle the mm. fact that here's an aggressive woman with a loud fucking mouth that has opinions. Fuck you. I'm sorry if there hasn't been that many that hasn't been that much precedent before me. There have been a few Emma Goldman uh, Wanda Coleman, the poet, uh, Angela Davis, there have Diamanda Gallus, there have been a few, but it, and this is why these workshops are important, of course, mm. because fuck you to tell me to be quiet. Oh, please. Mm. And I mean, I had to, 
you know, especially my early spoken word, which was extremely aggressive. I mean, and it's finessed and changed. I have all different kinds of writing, all different kinds of spoken word stuff. But in the beginning, I had to actually build in violence because it was always mad. You can't out heckle me. You want to try to out heckle me? I, I'm a professional fucking heckler. You can't do it. But there came a point where I would build in fake violence just to shut him up. I'm going to give you a few examples of my favorite heckling. Am I a fucking idiot or what? I'm opening for the Rollins Band spoken word in a frat bar in Cleveland. And this is when I would dress in kind of, you know, all black military, black beret, um, police, mag light, truncheon. And some idiot male, show us your tits. Now, honey, my tits have been made public for a long time and they're pretty good. So I show him my tits. Big fucking deal. They're only tits. I get out my police mag light, you know, those big ones that are about a foot and a half long. And I aim it at his crotch, the light, and I go, now show me your dick. <laughs> well, the Rollins man pull his pants down, and let me tell you, there ain't much to see, and that's why they call it a fucking mag light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't build that in, but it was incidences like that that caused me to kind of build in some fake violence to quiet yeah. people down. It's much different now. And in and, and 43 or more years of performing, only once did a woman try to interrupt me. And I saw her snaking on the floor between the bar stools as I walk into a club in Chicago to do a spoken word. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. So she's like, Lydia, Lydia, why do you have those notes? I go, oh, because I need them and I'll gladly give them to you and you can do the speech when I'm done. Yeah, kept bothering me. I'm like, look, quiet down there. Betty Lou, she won't. So I have to jab her in the stomach with the microphone. Now she keeps coming, whack her on the head with the microphone. <laughs> I have a 350 pound bodyguard beside me laughing. And finally, I don't know if I really gave her an airplane spin, but it feels like I had to. But that was the only time. One more example, and I love this one. And again, I'm not, these are why I had to build in violence, not even the violence I built in. I'm at a festival called The Feminist and the Misogynist Together at Last. They had no idea which end of the fence I stood on. I'm a misanthropist. I hate you all fucking equally. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm doing a spoken word speech. Yeah, you could say it's pretty harsh on men in positions of power, not the average man. Why would I pick on the average goddamn man? He doesn't have much fucking power. I pity the average man. Some wise ass from the back goes, suck my dick. I'm like, come on up here, baby. Which, first of all, if I would have done that, I could have killed him anyway. Does he not know how sharp my tongue is, goddammit? He's stupid enough to get to the front row. And I take out my billy club and I whack him in the fucking head. He falls to his knees. I go, suck your own dick and get back to me when you're done. Oh, respect. <laughs> respect. Anyway, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. People are, you know, come on, they're more used to it. <laughs> okay, my friends, really grand speaking, and uh, and we'll just be in touch. Let me know when this goes up. I'm sending you a little goodie for your ears only, and uh, take care and enjoy. Thanks, Thanks so much, Lydia. So she appreciates it. Absolutely brilliant. Lovely to speak to you. What a great way to start my day. Now I have to go do some tax accounting. God damn it. Okay. Enjoy. Kick his I, ass. I love, no, I love numbers. It calms me down. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> okay. Talk to you soon. Sending you a song. Bye, okay. Bye-bye, Lydia. Thank you very much. It's only natural to cry.
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of What Goes Around. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you did, the very least you could do for us is to uh, like this podcast, subscribe to it and tell a friend. If you have a friend who loves music as much as we do and misses chatting about it down the pub or at any informal in-person occasion, perhaps they would like this podcast. Let them know about it. If you want to get in touch with us, it's whatgoespod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Questions, comments, suggestions for future guests. You'll also find us at whatgoespod on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, just to be contrary, it's What Goes Around podcast. Next week, we're going to be joined by another amazing guest sharing his phonographic memories. The uh, renowned journalist and uh, TV presenter, David Hepworth, who founded legendary magazines like Smash Hits. I think he was also told to fuck off once by Bob Geldof. No, give us your fucking money, uh, Bob Geldof (laughs) said to him live on TV at Live Aid. I'm sure he has plenty more stories like that to share with us. So make sure you join us in the next episode of What Goes Around. (laughs) 